Thank you, choir, orchestra, Sarah. I saw that, I thought it was a, an all-state commercial there for a little bit. <laughs> Maybe it's a different concept, but at any rate, that's what I thought. You know, sometimes I am amazed at the inventions and the discoveries that have taken place during my lifetime. The thought that man has actually gone to the moon and back to earth is astounding to me. I have difficulty getting to Atlanta and back, but they have actually gone to the moon and then back to the earth. Medicines are almost miraculous, the things that we are able to take to make our lives better. Computers we carry around in our pocket. Telephones you have in your pocket. I, I remember the first cell phone I had. It was so large they literally mounted it in the trunk of my car and ran a little wire through the headliner down to where the phone was. Some of you remember that. And now then you have a phone in, in your pocket. What would we do without them? I mean, you're able to play Pokemon Go, <laughs> text while I'm preaching. Now, I know you tell me that you're taking notes, but I know what you're doing. I think about all these things, these, these inventions, these discoveries that have been made, and it is astounding to me. But then I ask the question, how can we be so smart in this area and yet so confused about the fundamentals of life? I mean, today we don't even know if we are male or female. That was fairly easy to detect when I was growing up, but we have, I, I, I look at the, what is going on in our world today and there is the threat of radical Islam and we just don't know what to do about it. We look at the family, the very building block, the foundation of our society. It is falling apart and it just doesn't seem to get any better. Government has become corrupt. The church has lost the sense of purpose. How can we be so smart in this area and yet so confused about the fundamentals of life? Ladies and gentlemen, for life to make sense, we have to turn to the wisdom of God. Did you know that God has a plan for your life? In Jeremiah chapter 29, it speaks about God's plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. And the apostle Paul wrote, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has a plan for your life. And Isaiah says that God guides us in that plan. In Isaiah chapter 58 verse 11, the Lord will continually guide you. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see, 
To understand life during this confusing day, we must turn to the precepts of Scripture. If we're going to make sense of life, then we have to turn to the Word of God. And so he tells us in verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching. We are to constantly remind ourselves of the teaching of God's Word. When this world seems so confusing to us, what do we do? We remind ourselves of the teaching of God's Word. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. The Word of God is to be on your heart. The Word of God, the precepts of God, are to permeate your very heart. And then the Bible says that when the Word of God permeates my heart, when the Word of God is on my heart, then I teach the Word of God to my family. Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you know a good way of teaching the word of God to your family? It's through music. Through the songs. When uh, our children's choir sings here, I'm always blessed, not just to hear them, but because I know that as they learn the music, they are also learning the Word of God. One of the ways that we can teach the Word of God to our family is through the music that they listen to. So we instill the Word in their hearts and we install it in our homes. Our homes should be filled with religious reminders, with reminders of God. I was thinking of that yesterday and I walked through my house just looking around purposely to see what was there that reminded me of the Lord. And as I walked through the house, I looked upon the shelves, the bookshelves, and there are so many books about the Lord, so many books about Christianity, so many books about the things of God. And I thought to myself, those all remind me of the Lord and His teachings. I went into my study and there's an icon that I got in Greece of the Apostle Paul. And as I looked at that, here's this old bald-headed man. And I looked at that icon and I began to remember the teachings of the Apostle Paul. It is there hanging as a reminder to me of the writings of the Apostle Paul. And then in our living room, there's a painting we bought when we were in Jerusalem of Rebecca and Isaac. And as I look at that, it always reminds me of the story in the Old Testament. The, the, the point that I'm making is that your home should be filled with reminders of God. So much of our furniture, so many of the things that we have in our house, all have a story. They may not be new, they may not be expensive, but they have a story. And they teach us about the things of God. That, that's what the Bible is saying to us during this confusing time in this confusing world. We are to have the word of God on our heart. We are to instill it 
in our children, in our families, and we are to install it in our homes. He gives us some uh, instruction concerning teaching, and then he says in verse 1, but let your heart keep my commandment. Let your heart. You know what I believe? When the Word of God is in your heart, then you keep the command. Somebody doesn't need to get up and browbeat you about keeping the commandments of God. Put the word of God in your heart. When the word of God is in your heart, then you keep the commands of God. So as I look at this, he begins with instruction about the word. Remember my words. And then there's a word of encouragement concerning the quantity of life. Verse 2, for length of days and years of life. Length of days. I, I suppose that all of us want to live a whatever it is, a goodly time, right? I mean, we know we're going to die. We just don't want to do it today. I don't see anybody out there who's saying, man, I'm ready for the next load. We know that we're going to die. We just don't want to do it today. Length of days. One of my favorite stories about the guy who went to the doctor. The doctor ran some tests on him, and then the doctor came and said, man, I've got some bad news for you. He said, you have six months to live. Six months to live. What am I going to do? The doctor said, well, there's nothing that we can do. He said, well, what would you suggest? He said, well, if I were you, I would, I would marry an ugly woman and move to West Texas. He said, would I live longer? He said, no, but it didn't seem like it. <laughs> Length of days. Now, how would keeping his commandments help us to live longer? Well, first of all, we probably would have better health. And we probably would have less accidents. If I'm living according to the word of God, I'm not going to get drunk and kill myself in an accident, right? I'm not, I'm not going to take drugs and kill myself in some accident or, or an overdose if I'm, if I'm living according to the commands of God. So he gives us some encouragement concerning the quantity of life and then he speaks about the quality of life in verse number two and peace they will add to you. If I keep the commands of God in this world where there is so little peace, he promises me what? He promises me peace. In this world that is so confusing where there is so little peace, he is telling me that if I keep the commands of God that I have peace. First of all, I have peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, verse number 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you know what that means to me, what it means to you? That I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I am justified as a result of that, and I have peace with God. It means I'm no longer at war with God. I would imagine today there are some of you who are at war with God. But when we trust the Lord Jesus, we are justified by faith, and the Bible says that we now have peace with God. I'm not at war with God. But not only do I have peace with God, I have the peace of God. The scripture says in Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I get excited about the Lord, or I get to thinking about the Lord and how good He is and how He's blessed my life. And I'm overwhelmed with the, with the joy, the peace that he brings to me. See, that, that's what he is saying. He says, when we live according to the commands of God, even in a confusing world, 
that we are at peace with God and we have the peace of God. So in this confusing world, he says that we order our lives according to the precepts of God's word. And then we turn to the promises of God. Now, in verse number three, there's sort of a caution there. He says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, it's interesting to me that he couples these two words together. First of all is kindness. As followers of Christ, as keepers of the command, we are to be kind. You know, we've, we've lost a lot of kindness, have we not? We've become very crass. we become hateful. But he talks about kindness. As a child of God, we are to be kind. We are to practice kindness. But then he says kindness and what? Truth. Kindness and truth. Now, folks, kindness without truth is nothing but political correctness. We are to have both kindness and truth. For instance, we want our doctor to be kind, but we also want him or her to be truthful, right? I, I call my doctor, who is not here this morning, I don't see. I called him not long ago and I said, I have some weakness in my legs. And I said, could it be the medication you have me on? Because that had happened earlier. And he took me off the medication. And, and I said, could it be the medication? And uh, being a truthful man that he is, he said, now, Wendell, he said, I know when you look in the mirror, you see a 50-year-old man. But that is not reality. <laughs> I think he could have had a little more kindness. <laughs> but the point is, is that we are to be kind and truthful. Both. If a doctor is kind but he's not truthful, then he's not a good doctor. The same thing is true with a Christian. We are to be kind, but we also must be truthful. I have a friend, not a Christian, and I was talking with him one day and I said, you know, if I believe what I say that I believe, and I do, and I did not tell you what the Word of God says, then I'm not a good friend to you. I believe it's important that we be both. And that's what he's saying. He couples those two words together. Kindness and truth. Now here's the promise in verse number four. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. So when we live according to his word, what is promised? He says, favor. Matthew Henry says, God will make the best of him and put a favorable construction upon what he says and does. Favorable and then good repute. And the word good repute there literally means understanding. If we are ordering our lives according to the word of God, we have favor and understanding. We understand. Folks, the fact is a Christian person understands better what's going on in this world than a non-Christian. They just do. Because if they are living according to the word of God, then God gives them understanding. Now verse number four, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. So that is pleasing then to God. That is what he is saying. Truth and kindness. We are, we are to order our lives according to the word of God. That is pleasing to God and it is also pleasing to man. That's the reason the Bible says in Luke 2, 252, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. The promise of God 
when we order our lives according to the word of God, the promise from God is favor and understanding. And then we turn to the providence of God. To make sense in this confusing world, we rely on his providence. Now there are three words I want to use. The first is confidence, verse number five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see, confidence in something precedes trust of something. I must have confidence first to trust. The word trust that is used there means to be helpless face down. David Hubbard wrote, trust steps onto the bridge of God's loving power and leaves the shoreline of our own abilities and emotions behind. Trust. I have to have confidence before I can trust. Now, where is the place of your trust? But not in, I hope, not in political promises. You know, we, we hear all of uh, these promises being made today by the politicians. And anytime they say, say free, you ought to ask the question, now who's going to pay for that because there's nothing free? That's just a political promise. We're going to give you free education. We're going to give you this. We're going to give you that. Well, first of all, the government doesn't have any money to give. It is your money. They take your money to give to someone else. So whenever they start promising that they're going to give you a free college education, and a lot of young people say, man, I like that. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be paying for that in taxes when you're 50 years old because someone has to pay for it. I remember when Lyndon Johnson was going to wipe out poverty in our lifetime. We've spent trillions of dollars and there are more people on poverty today than there were back then. Political promises, now that's not a good place for trust. Religious philosophies, that's not a good place for trust. Where is our trust? Trust in the Lord with all our heart. That means I can add nothing to it. I can subtract nothing from it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I hope that you're not putting your trust in all these things that are going to disappoint. We put our trust in Jesus. He is the solid rock. Now it's difficult to trust, isn't it? Dwight L. Moody wrote, Trust in yourself and you are doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends, and they will die and leave you. Trust in money, and you may have it taken from you. Trust in your reputation, and some slanderous tongue may blast it. But trust in God, and you are never to be confounded in time or eternity. We are to trust but the truth is, we don't trust one we do not know. See, some of you do not trust God because you do not know God. And we don't trust someone we don't know. For instance, if a stranger comes up to me and says, Wendell, I want you to do such and such. I'm, I may act like I'm interested, but the chances are I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I don't know that person. So I don't know if there is a good intention or a bad intention. We don't trust someone we don't know. Now then if my wife on the other hand asked me to do something 
I'm going to do it. Why? Because I know her and because I trust her. You see, in order to trust, we have to know the person and we don't trust because we don't know. Some of us have difficulty trusting God because we don't know God. And then another thing is that we don't know anyone with whom we spend no time. When Reverend Jackson and I, pastor over at Brookland, um, were first introduced to each other, it was our brotherhoods that brought us together and said, we'd like for you all to be friends, like for you to do something. And as we listened to them, I said, now if you're asking me to have a Sunday when Reverend Jackson comes over here and preaches and I go over at Brookland and preach, I'm probably not interested in doing that because I think that's, you know, with race relations that... Hey, you do that and then you're done for the, for the year. That's all that you do. You do that and well, maybe I've done good and, and that's, that's over. I said, as I see it, the problems that we have in race relations is that we don't trust each other. Would that be fair? We have race issues because we don't trust each other. And we don't trust each other because we don't know each other. And we don't know each other because we don't spend time with each other. So I said, so here's what I'll do. I am willing to spend some time with Reverend Jackson to see if I like him. And he can determine if he likes me. Well, we spent 20 years together now, and I like him. He is a dear friend. I love him like a brother. But the point is, we don't trust someone that we don't know, and we don't know someone with whom we spend no time and oftentimes we don't trust the Lord, some because they don't know the Lord, and others because they don't spend the time with God to get to know the Lord and to trust Him. So the first word is confidence. You have to have confidence to trust. The second word is commitment. Verse number six, in all your ways acknowledge Him. Now let me ask you, to whom are you committed? To yourself? I, I, I was uh, and then the Lord called me to preach and mess the whole thing up. So is, are you committed to yourself? See, our commitment is to be to God. Our commitment is to be to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. He is the Lord. And so our commitment is to be to Him. Stephen Oford, some of you are familiar with, went to school to become an engineer. While he was in school, he was told by the doctor that he had two weeks to live. He didn't know what he was going to do. And then he received a letter from his father. And his father said, Stephen, only the things done for Christ will last. Stephen went to the Lord and committed to God and prayed this prayer with which you're probably familiar. Anywhere, anytime, any cost. Amen. Totally committed to the Lord. Anywhere. Any time, any cost. Amen. God healed him, raised him up as a great preacher of the gospel. Third word, consequence, verse number six. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Now there are two consequences as a result of our commitment to the Lord that he mentions. First of all is divine direction. Make your path straight in Hebrew is actually to make smooth straight, right. So what he is saying then, if you commit yourself to the Lord, then the Lord is going to guide you. Now how does he guide you? We know that Isaiah said that. So how does God guide us? 
How does he guide? Well, through his word. The psalmist declared, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you want to know God's direction for your life, then get in the word. And then through prayer, the psalmist said, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. God guides us in prayer, doesn't he? I was reading the story in Acts about Philip and how he was in the midst of a revival when the Holy Spirit sent him to the Ethiopian eunuch. It was a response of prayer. He had, he had prayed and, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit had sent him to the Ethiopian. God spoke to him in prayer. He spoke to Peter on the roof in prayers. He was in prayer. God speaks to his church as they pray. And if we want to know God's will for the church, then we spend time with the Lord in prayer. God speaks to individuals when they pray. There have been times, it's not every time, but there have been times when I've been in prayer and it was almost if the voice of God were audible as he spoke to me so clearly. I, I couldn't explain that to you. But I would imagine most of you understand it. That when you pray and God speaks to you. So how does the Lord guide us? Well, through his word, through prayer, and through opportunity. In Revelation 3.8 he says, Behold, I have put before you an open door. So what is the promise that he will give us divine direction? Folks, if we are ordering our lives according to the word of God, then God guides us. Do you want to be guided by God? As you're trying to make decisions in life, do you want to be guided by God? Then you commit to him. There's divine direction and there's divine dynamic. In verse number 6b, he says, and he will make your path straight. That literally means to cut a path, to clear a way. So God leads us then by his word, through prayer, through open doors, and then God makes a way. I heard Adrian Rogers speak on this verse one time, and he says, it's like God takes a bulldozer and he just bulldozes everything down to make a path for you. No one can stand in front of it. No one can stand in the way of it. God just bulldozes it down to clear a path for you. He cuts a path that no one can stop. We live in a confusing world. God reveals his will to us. And he cuts a path for us that no one can stop. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity wrote, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. This is not our home. It may be confusing, and the reason is, is this is not our home. Our citizenship is there. Our stewardship is here. The world is confused and confusing. Therefore, we trust in God and his word. Charles Spurgeon wrote, I would recommend you either believe God to the hilt or else not to believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. 
There is no logical standing between the two. It is only as we hide the word of God in our heart, obey the command of God, that we are able to effectively live in this world that is so confused. Because this world is not our home. Our gracious Father and God, we thank you for the encouragement from your word. And Lord, I pray today, especially for those who do not know you. They may be religious, they may be even a member of this church, but they do not know you, therefore they do not have peace. I pray today that you would save them. Lord, I pray for Christians that they would spend enough time with you to get to know you. Lord, I pray that you'll bless this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand, extend an invitation. The choir will sing. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you to commit your life to the Lord. If you're looking for a church home, our doors open. We'd love to have you as a part of this family. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.